So uh, Acts chapter 2, and we're looking at verses 41 through 47. We looked at the earlier part of Acts chapter 2 as we were talking about baptism and being obedient to the Lord in the area of of baptism. And now we we go into the natural application of that, uh, church membership community. And so if you're uh, able to, if you would please stand with me as we read God's word together this morning. Acts chapter 2, beginning there in verse 41. Peter has just finished preaching. And Luke writes, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And All who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You may be seated. May God encourage us through his word. Uh, this morning, uh, let, me, let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the opportunity to talk about it together. We thank you for this community of faith that you've drawn us uh, to be a part of this morning. And Father, we pray that our commitment uh, to one another would deepen as we study the scripture and as your spirit works through our hearts. I pray that our lives would be uh, pledged to one another as we seek to uh, draw closer to you, to, to walk on this journey of faith together, growing closer to you through our faith in your son, Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, I've had some uh, good conversations with people this last week as we've uh, talked about church membership and uh, some just good, again, frank, open uh, dialogue about what it means to be in community of faith together. And remember, as we began talking last week, I said there's kind of two two big issues that I think we just need to really frankly talk about as a community of faith. And I think our discussion on baptism was benefited by our just willingness to have really open conversations with one another, some hard conversations, some conversations that uh, hurt, some conversations that were uh, painful, but some conversations that I think God was glorified through. And I think the same could be true with church membership. And remember, I said there's kind of two big issues that I think we need to discuss. And one of those issues, the area that I think we need to discuss as a body of believers is the issue of uh, how some who would consider themselves part of our fellowship, some of those who are uh, we're in relationship with, how some of us would say I'm I'm philosophically opposed to the idea of church membership, philosophically or, or theologically opposed to church membership, and I think that's something we need to talk about. Why is that, and why would we say this is something we believe that God? Uh, where possible, would call us to. And then the other issue that uh, is a major issue that I think that we need to talk about is how some of us may not be philosophically opposed to church membership, but we're practically opposed to it. In other words, as we think about what God wants us to be doing in our relationships with one another, some of us knowingly, blatantly, or some of us not blatantly, not even thinking about it, are opposed to the relationships that God has called us to be a part of. And really, 
If you think about it, all of us fall in, at least into that second category to some degree, right? All of us are failing to pursue the relationships that God has called us to pursue in the way that God has called us to pursue them to some extent, all of us in here. So I want us to talk about those two big issues. Those are kind of the the two areas that I'm kind of trying to address as we go through this uh, series on church membership. And there are a lot of other tinier issues that we're going to address as well. And I don't think I'm going to be able to get to everything this morning. So we're going to cover some things in a post-Sunday app, uh, Lord willing, tomorrow. But we'll see uh, what we get through today and uh, trust God in that. But there's kind of three questions as we kind of try to address these two big areas. There's three questions that I've uh, asked us to think through as we think about church membership to kind of draw our thinking along to the conclusion that uh, God would have us arrive at. The first question, and let's just go ahead and begin talking about these, review a little bit here. The first question is, what does the community God has called me to be a part of look like? So as we look at Acts chapter 2, and we looked at verses 41 through 47, and and really we looked there beginning at verse 42 to kind of see what this fellowship looks like, Uh, what does this community that God has called me to be a part of look like? What are we striving for? And the first thing we see in this text is that there are some things that this community of faith that God has called us to be a part of, there's some things that that community of faith is devoted to. So here in Acts chapter 2, this community is devoted to preaching. They're devoted to to scripture, to God's word. That's the first thing. They're devoted to to fellowship. They're devoted to relationships with one another. They're devoted to corporate holiness. That's the idea there is they they come together to break the bread. They're participating in the Lord's Supper. And we'll talk more about how that relates to corporate holiness beginning next week, Lord willing. And so they're they're devoted. They say, okay, as we come to relationship together, we're going to be devoted to scripture. We're going to be devoted to each other. We're going to be devoted to corporate holiness, pursuing sanctification together, and we're committed to prayer. We're devoting ourselves to those things. And then we also here in this passage see some really beautiful fruit that comes when a church is devoted to these things, right? What's the fruit we see there? Well, we see in this New Testament church in Acts chapter 2, we see an awe of God. We see Holy Spirit-empowered ministry. We see among these, these Christians, we see deep relationships, like family-level relationships, as there's a, an obligation, a divine, joyful obligation to care for one another's needs, just like you would a, a son or a daughter or a sister or a brother or a parent. There's that level of deep relationship there. And there's, there's joy in fellowship with one another and with God. So what does the community of, that God has called me to be a, a part of look like? That's, that's kind of the picture that we looked at last week. And I, I hope that all of us would say as, as we think about what happens there at the end of Acts chapter 2 as people receive the gospel and begin to fellowship together, I would hope that all of us would say, yes, that is the type of fellowship that I want to be a part of. That's what it looks like. That is a good thing. Now here's the second question. Here's the second question. What is necessary to have this type of community? What is necessary to have this type of community? Sometimes when I'm I'm talking with people about the church, uh, it, it can be a little bit discouraging. Because sometimes people say something like this. Um, 
you're, you're talking with them about the church and they'll say something like, boy, I just wish, I just wish we could be like the New Testament church. In other words, um, this church is okay, but man, if we could be like the New Testament church, then we would have really arrived. And, and the, the, the subtle, sometimes the subtle accusation is, why can't you be more like a, a New Testament church, right? And uh, I understand that sentiment, but really, as we think about the New Testament church, we realize that this picture that is presented in Acts chapter 2, at the end of Acts chapter 2, doesn't last that long. As you come to Acts chapter 5, there's, there's deception taking place in the church, deception that costs two people their very lives. You come to Acts chapter 15, and you see that the church here in Jerusalem is struggling with legalism and struggling with division and, and uh, imposing legalism on other churches as well. It's, it's not a pretty picture. The New Testament church isn't that great of a church sometimes either. You come to the Corinthians, and you see that the Corinth church is a church that struggles with terrible immorality. You come into Revelation and you find that there are churches that, that Jesus wants to like spew out of his mouth because they're so lukewarm. In other words, what I'm saying is, as we ask this question, what is necessary to have this type of community, our goal isn't to look at an, another church over here or another church over here and think, well, that church has it all together. Let's be like them. Our goal is to look at what Scripture says. What does Scripture say that we're to be about? What does Scripture say we're to look like? And, and then try to foster that, recreate that as we trust in the Lord. So I, I just, as I was kind of thinking through what Scripture says about what we need to be, uh, what we need to look like in order to have the type of community that we see there in Acts chapter 2, I just had kind of seven things that I, I thought I'd, I'd share with you. These, there's more I could write down, there's, there's less I could write down, just kind of seven, a few things here for us to, to meditate on and think about as we think about what we need in order to have the type of community that God has called us to have. And I'm going to go through some of these quickly and some of these a little bit uh, more slowly. But here's the first thing. Uh, you need covenant commitment, okay? If we're to have the type of community that God has called us to have, it's going to require a covenant-like commitment. I was on the uh, treadmill here at Five Points on Wednesday morning, and there was a, a Fox News show going on, and I'm kind of reading the subtitles as I'm, I'm running, which is always kind of a dangerous thing. Um, Whitney, one time she came by me, she goes, why do you always hit the, um, the rail whenever you look up? I said, well, I'm trying not to trip. So, um, so I'm doing that. I'm hitting the, hitting the rail, looking at the TV and while I'm running in. Uh, there's this, this psychologist on the TV, and he, the people are asking him questions. And one of the questions that they ask him is this, this, letter, this uh, girl writes in a letter, and she says, um, essentially it's, it's this, I'm paraphrasing. She says, I have this boyfriend, and whenever we're alone, this boyfriend talks to me about our future together. And it's, it's really exciting. But when we're with his friends in, in public, he refuses to acknowledge that I'm even his girlfriend. Is this a problem? Okay. Now, I'm no psychologist, but I'm, you know, nodding my head. Yes, that is a problem, right? You know? There is a concern with this. Right? Now, why is that a problem? Well, why, why not just have a boyfriend that whenever you're in private says, oh, I love you, you're so wonderful, girlfriend, and then in public says, I don't know who you are. Why is that a problem? Why is that a problem? Because in a relationship in which there's health and growth, there's going to be a, a commitment to one another. 
It's in Song of Songs, uh, Song of Solomon chapter 8, where the, the girl says to her beloved, I want to be like a seal on your heart, a seal on your arm. I want there to be this, this covenant love that exists between us because this young woman understands it's only in the context of covenant love, deep commitment to one another, that this marriage love can, can thrive and flourish, and that's what she desires. Now, the same is true in a church, the type of community that we say that we want to be a part of that's that model for us in Scripture cannot exist apart from committed relationships. You and I have been called into a covenant with God, and we, we see, we've talked about that in the past. There's this new covenant that we've entered into with, with God. The church is a participant in this new covenant. We've received this life through our faith in Jesus Christ. We've been brought into a covenant with God. But here's the deal. That covenant with God the new covenant that we're participants in is an invisible covenant to a large degree. People can't see us visibly in relationship with God. So what is the church? The church is that place where the invisible becomes visible. Where that invisible covenant relationship with God becomes visible as as it's manifested in our relationships with each other. And the New Testament again and again describes this unique commitment we have as believers to one another who are part of the church. So, uh, for example, uh, Galatians 6.10, there's a special care that believers are to show for the household of God. 1 Corinthians 5, kind of beginning in verse 12, talks about how we're going to have a responsibility to judge those who are within the church. Not outside the church, but those who are within the church. What I'm saying is this. If we want to have deep family-level-like relationships where we're committed to, to Scripture together and to fellowship and to corporate holiness, where we're committed to prayer where we see the fruit of that in in deep family-level relationships, if we're going to pursue that, there needs to be covenant-level commitment. There needs to be formal commitments to one another to pursue that type of relationship. We can't just be like a a guy and girl kind of casually hanging out together when it's convenient or when it's not convenient not. That's not the type of relationship that God has called us to. If we want to have deep relationships, there needs to be formal commitment. Number two, What else do you need? You need sacrificial love. You need sacrificial love. Relationships that God has called us to cannot exist apart from a community in which there's a commitment to caring for one another even at the cost of our own well-being. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for who? Who ought we to lay down our lives for, says John, as he's talking to people, helping them understand whether or not they're they're really part of, of God's community of faith. He says, we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? How is that possible? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. And by this, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. What else do we need? We need sacrificial love. That must be true in a church that's going to to realize the relationships that God has called her to. Number three, you need mutual accountability. You need mutual accountability. Galatians 6 talks about this. And we looked at this last week. Paul says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. 
Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. In other words, as we engage in relationships with one another, if we are going to be pursuing corporate holiness, all of us growing in our relationship with God together, pursuing sanctification, if that's going to be true, what does it require? It requires commitment to one another, and not just vague, hey, I'm going to be your buddy, but hey, we're going to hold one another accountable. I'm entering into this relationship with you expecting Galatians 6 to be true. Expecting that if I have need of of other people coming alongside me, they're going to do so. And yet as they do so, they're going to be humble, recognizing that they too could fall into sin. And so they need people to hold them accountable. You need mutual accountability. Number four, what else do you need? You need committed shepherds. You need committed shepherds. 1 Peter 5 uh, Peter is writing here, and he, and he says, uh, this is First Peter 5, verse 1. He says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. What, is, what does he exhort them? Verse 2, First Peter 5. He says, Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, As God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now, obviously, those are uh, very high, high things to which to aspire. But apart from committed shepherds, people who are committed not to pursuing some sort of uh, political entity, not to pursuing personal power or control or shameful gain, but what a church needs if she is to function as God has called her to function are shepherds, those who will come alongside and care for the flock. Number five, the fifth thing you need, I think, I believe from Scripture, is you need submission to the church. Now, submission to the church, that's, that's a hard one, right? <laughs> What does that mean? Hebrews 13.7 says this. And, and, and think through this with me because this is, this is the hard one. And this is really, uh, as we think about why a lot of people object to, to church membership or to the type of relationships that I believe God is calling them to, th- this becomes a huge sticking point. So let me, just, let me just lay out what Scripture says, acknowledging, as I acknowledged last week, that uh, there are many examples of abuse of church authority, but let's just see what Scripture says here. Uh, Hebrews 13, 7, uh, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, uh, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And so that idea of remembering your leaders doesn't just mean, okay, I got to remember what their names are. There's, there's this idea that I need to think about those with whom God has, has entrusted my spiritual well-being and I need to, to imitate them. I need to be following them. And then later in that chapter, in verse 17, uh, the writer of Hebrews says something very, very strong. And it's something that I think all of us, myself included, have to wrestle with how we apply this in our lives. Verse 17 says, this is Hebrews 13, verse 17, obey your leaders. Okay, that's a very strong word. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. And let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And I'm, I'm convinced that verse 17 of Hebrews 13 is one of the, the, one of the biggest obstacles 
in our hearts to pursuing the types of relationships within a church that God has called us to. There is a persistent mentality among us, especially those of us in, in North America, that I am an individual and I have my individual devotions with God. I have my individual uh, salvation experience. I have my individual this, my individual that, my individual this, my individual that. And my relationship in the context of a church should be the same. Well, I think verse 17 here of Hebrews 13 calls us to something different. And in my own life, as I've uh, thought about this as a, as a pastor and my need to submit to other elders, it's, it's a constant challenge to me. And my goal is not just to give them lip service, but the men that God has entrusted with the care of my soul, I need to obey. I need to submit to them. That word submit means to willingly place myself under their leadership. And as an elder, my responsibility is, and as a, as a teaching pastor, my responsibility is to, is to pursue that wholeheartedly. It can be very easy as an individual, it can be very easy as a teaching pastor to find ways around implementing verse 17 in your life, right? I have to obey them, I have to submit to them, to willingly place myself under them. And not only do I need to do that, but how do I need to do it? In such a way that the people who are entrusted with the care of my soul are happy about it. So a huge question for me to ask myself as I think about the men uh, that God has placed me under is, are they glad? (laughs) Are they glad that they've been entrusted with the task of shepherding my soul? Let me read to you a quote I mentioned before uh, last week, two books by Jonathan Lehman. One book on church membership is entitled Church Membership. Uh, He has another book called The Church and the Surprising Offense of God's Love. But let me read you a a quote from his book on church membership. And, and I want you to just, just think about this, okay? See if this is true or not. He says, Just as the Bible establishes the government of your nation as your highest authority on earth when it comes to your citizenship in that nation, so the Bible establishes the local church as your highest authority on earth when it comes to your discipleship to Christ and your citizenship in Christ's present and promised nation. What is, what is he saying there? He's saying, when it comes to pursuing discipleship, when it comes to our spiritual life, the church is our highest authority that God has given us in that pursuit. Now, I know immediately, what if they tell us to do something wrong? Clearly, it's a limited authority, right? A church cannot tell you to do something that's, that's contrary to God's word. A church can't tell you to violate your conscience. A church can't tell you to do those things. But when it comes to pursuing my spiritual discipleship, my discipleship in Christ, that the church is my highest authority. Now, here alone, I, I think would be reason to pursue membership if that's what the elders are asking you to do, but let's, let's think through some other things here. Here's a sixth thing that I believe you need. You need boundaries. You need boundaries, okay? Not only do you need submission to the church, you need boundaries. And, and look here in Acts chapter 2, what happens? It says that, um, it says that, that they're they're adding, they're added to that, verse 41, they're added that day about 3,000 souls. And then uh, you come down to the last verse in chapter 2, it says, day by day, the Lord's adding to their number, those who are being saved. In other words, what does that mean? It means there's, there, there's boundaries. It means that there is an in and an out, okay? And as you go through the New Testament, you see over and over again that there is a, a great concern among the apostles and the pastors, the shepherds, that people know that there's an end to the church and there's an out to the church. 
And for some of us, that's, that's a really hard thing to say. It seems kind of exclusive, right? Why is that? Why must there be an in and an out to the church? Why not just say, hey, if you want to come to Bethany Community Church and sit in a chair, you're in. If you don't want to, you're out. Whatever you want to do. Why make there be an in and out? Let me just give you a couple of illustrations why I believe the New Testament is so concerned with this. Let's imagine that there's a person who begins to attend a church and, and considers himself a member of the church, and there's, there's no structure in place to, to make an in or an out, and so they're, they're in, they're part of the church, and, and uh, they believe something contrary to the gospel about how someone comes into relationship with God. And people know that, okay, they're in, they're part of the church, and so they begin saying things like, hey, you know what, uh, you know, to become a Christian, uh, you, need to, you need to give money. You know, you gotta give a lot of money to the church. And they, people look at them and think that's, Bethany Community Church, whatever, saying those things. And so uh, something that's contrary to the gospel is proclaimed as the gospel. And if the church is the gateway, the church is the one who, who affirms someone's testimony, then that, that's a concern. We don't want the false gospel being proclaimed, right? Or let's say that there's a, a, a pastor and a pastor begins to, to teach some, some heretical things about who God is and saying that, that Jesus wasn't really the son of God. And, and, and yet, because there's no in and out to the church, who's to say that that pastor isn't proclaiming what the church teaches. It's very important, I believe, for there to be an in and an out to the church. There, there's a need for boundaries. There's a need for boundaries. And despite how it might make us uncomfortable, there needs to be boundaries to the church by which the church says, yes, this, this person is proclaiming the gospel and is part of the church, and this person is not. Number seven, the last thing here, is just you need clear communication. You need clear communication. You need a means by which shepherds know that they are responsible for you, right? There needs to be clear communication. I said this a few years ago, and uh, it really offended a person. It really offended a person. He said, look, how, how can you say that? I come here every week, and I, haven't, I don't want to become, uh, I have no desire to, to become a member, but um, how could you say that, you're not in charge of me, of, of, my, of my soul. You know, I, I said, well, you haven't told me that yet. <laughs> there, there's been no communication that you even have a, a desire for that. And, and, I, and I love you and, and I will absolutely, um, you know, make your life uncomfortable where I need to and love you where I need to. But I, just, we haven't talked about that. There's been no communication. There needs to be a process by which the church knows, hey, I, I want you, I want you to be shepherding me. That needs to happen. So these are things that, that I believe need to take. If we're going to have this, this relationship with one another that, that God has called us to have, I believe these things need to be in place. There needs to be covenant commitment by which we, we formally say, hey, I, I, I want to be in relationship with you. I, there needs to be sacrificial love where we're committed to, to caring for one another sacrificially. There needs to be mutual accountability. There needs to be committed uh, shepherds and submission to the church. There needs to be boundaries and clear communication. There could other things we could add, but I think those things are essential to be in a church for these types of relationship to exist. Here's a, here's a definition that uh, Layman gives in his, his book, um, The Church and the Surprising Offense of God's Love. And I've, I've changed it a little bit uh, to make it better. No, I don't know. I've, I've changed it a little bit, and this isn't official Bethany Community Church doctrine, but uh, here's, here's something that I think en encapsulates what I mean. Now, remember last week I took the phrase church membership and I put it back on, the, on that shelf. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that, that 
term off the shelf now and say, okay, when I use this term church membership, this is what I mean. Okay, this is what I'm saying. Church membership is this. A church membership is a covenant of union between a particular church and a Christian. A covenant that consists of the church's affirmation of the Christian's gospel witness, the church's promise to shepherd the Christian, and the Christian's promise together with the church, submit to its oversight, and love its people. It's kind of a long definition. I I wrote it down in in your uh, handout there. Someone else technically wrote it down and printed it out. Uh, But but that's, that's what we're talking about. When we say church membership, I don't mean some, just some forms you fill out. I don't just mean this affirmation that a church goes through. I, I don't mean a church membership is some sort of legalistic hoop that you jump through. I don't mean some sort of non-biblical process by which we judge each other. When I use the phrase church membership, this is what I mean at its essence. A church and a person covenanting together. And the church is saying, look, I affirm that this person is a believer, that at least that their profession of faith is consistent with what Scripture says the gospel is. And, I, and I'm, I'm committing to them to shepherd them. I, I'm saying I have a responsibility. As we affirm one another in membership, what we're saying is I recognize that I now have a relational obligation to this person. I have the responsibility to care for them and their family as I would my own. That's what we're doing. And the individual is not just saying, okay, I, I, I plan to do this so I can come to, to potlucks and get, you know, get discounts at special places uh, with my membership card. No, what the individual is saying, look, I, I understand that now I'm promising together with the church. I'm promising to come together with God's people and I'm going to submit to their oversight. I'm, I'm committing to do that. And I'm committing to love its people sacrificially. And so as they commit to me, I'm committing to them as well. That's the essence of church membership. That's what I mean. Now, couple caveats here. Uh, some people have asked, well, is it always sinful to not be a church membership and, and a church member? And, and, I, and I, I don't think that definition should be offensive to anyone. And what I would say is that all of us need to be pursuing that, okay? All of us need to be pursuing that. And yet, I understand a couple things. I understand that a person, uh, first of all, may be prevented uh, for various reasons from becoming a church member. Maybe there's a thing they need to work out with a previous church. I mentioned in our conversation with baptism, there's uh, some people with whom there's some obstacles to church membership because of baptism. And I don't think that if a person is pursuing this type of relationship but hasn't filled out all the forms because of, of those things, I don't believe they're in violation of, of God's word or anything like that. I think they're, they're pursuing the essence of that definition. And so uh, also I'd, I'd say a person may be slowly pursuing this. There may be some hurt that they're working through and, and uh, or maybe they've transferred from one place to another and they're kind of visiting some churches and so there's a period in which this isn't true of them. I don't think that's sinful. I think it's wise to find uh, where God would have them uh, be and, and serve and minister. But this is what we all want to be pursuing. This is what needs to take place, I believe. Here's the third question. Uh, what does this type of community look like in my cultural context? Okay, So if that first question addressed what we're shooting for, and that second question kind of addressed what needs to be placed, uh, be in place for us to, to have that. What does it look like in my cultural context? Okay. 
Uh, Jonathan Lehman, in, in his book that I've mentioned a million times now, uh, The Church and the Surprising Offense of God's Love, he, he, con- he talks about several different churches. So, for example, he talks about a church in Central Asia. And he says there's a church in Central Asia, several churches, and they're in a, a city in which Christianity is illegal. And simply by affirming that they are believers, their, their lives and, and livelihood are, are in danger. And so the, the church in this Central Asian city is uh, no more than uh, about 15 to 20 people. Each, each church in the city is about 15 to 20 people. And they, they meet in homes, and they can't have buildings. There's no church name. There's no really cool church logo with a Bible and a cross in the Bible. That doesn't exist, right? That doesn't exist. No membership roles, no, no doctrinal statement you sign, n- none of those things. And yet, and yet, that's a church, right? How do you become a member of that church? Well, 100% of their church members are through conversion, right? You don't transfer from one church to another church across town. You uh, believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and are baptized and become a member of that church. No need for big bylaws or anything. That's it. That's it. Now, in that cultural context, it works. Everyone knows who's in and out. Everyone knows who's committed to one another. They really have pledged their lives to one another. If a person errs and falls away from the truth, everyone knows that there's relationships. Now, there's another church that Layman talks about, Dubai, you know, the United Arab Emirates, uh, largest city. And in this city, uh, it's also a, a Muslim city, but 70% of the people in that city are are international people, and they have a a very large church there. There's about 600 people who go to this church, and the church leadership for a while was reluctant to to have people affirm anything. And so you had 600 people there from all different cultures and backgrounds and denominations, and you had a lot of people who were part of this church who didn't understand the gospel or affirmed a different gospel. And there was, there was, there was just like this other, these other smaller churches in these persecuted cities, there was, no, uh, there was no membership role, there was no doctrinal statement, none of those things. And yet in this church, those things were necessary. And so the leadership said, hey, we, we, we need to have some classes on what it means to be a believer. We need to, to talk about about what the gospel is. We need to have a a membership role. We need to address sin in people's lives. And so in that cultural context, something different took place in that cultural context, and it was necessary. Now, is one church better than the other? Is is one church more biblical than the other? I I don't believe so. I, I think what happens is because of the context in which a church finds herself, there's a need to to determine, okay, who's who's part of this body? Who isn't? So, let's talk about our cultural context here just for a minute. Uh, The way that a person becomes a member of Bethany Community Church is uh, through a series of survival-like experiences. No, that's not true. (laughs) See, you start really high, and then you sell what it really is, and it sounds a lot better. No, in our process, uh, people come to Bethany Community Church, they find out about the church, they uh, then attend a Discovering Bethany class, some sort of membership class. And uh, then there's a, uh, after the class, they uh, fill out some, some, some forms that, that tell us a couple things. They tell us about their, their story of conversion. There's a, a form that says, okay, here's what we believe. Do you, do you agree with this? Are, are you uh, affirming these, these things as well? And, what is it? and just a, a paper that talks about what it means to be in relationship. So just clear communication. 
We believe that, you know, in our cultural context, there are people coming from a lot of different denominations. Uh, our, our, our culture has a lot of things that call themselves churches that are not churches. There, there are many cults that call themselves Christians. And it's important in our cultural context for people to really understand what does the Bible teach and what is was the gospel and what does it even mean to be a church? And so uh, that's that was what we try to communicate in that membership class and through some of that, that paperwork. And then, um, and then we ask people to meet with our, our elders. And uh, some, some may object to that and say, hey, why do I have to go through this interview process? Do I have to pass some sort of test? Isn't my testimony good enough? And, and really, um, what that time with the elders is, is meant to do is, is to begin a relationship. To say, okay, let's just be really clear as we come into to, to this, this formal relationship with one another. Let's talk about what it means for us to shepherd you and, and, and let us hear your story of how you came to faith in Christ and, and what we're affirming as you become a member of this church. And then the last process of the step of becoming a member is, is the congregation affirming a person's membership. And, and this is a step that we really have to be careful with. And, um, but I think there's a need, and, and by the way, um, this step we've nuanced different ways. And really here, here's how I envision what we're doing in this last step. In this last step, what's happening is there's this, this public affirmation. As a person says, I want to be in relationship with you, it's the church coming along and saying, yes, we understand that. And we are publicly pledging our support to you as you commit your life to us as well. And so I think it's, it's, right now it's handled rightly. Uh, we've been at this for about eight years, and I'm guessing uh, there's some nuances that we would that we would make sure we got right if we were kind of kind of um, kind of think through those things. But anyway, the, the principle is good, and, and I, I believe it's a biblical one. So, all that to say, all that to say, that's how church membership in our cultural context works. The the theology we've talked big picture theology, and that's kind of how it works in our cultural context. Now, let me, uh, let me just deal here with some practical questions here for just a couple minutes. I'm going to go ahead and take the time the lights were out. Um, and if the lights go out, I'm just going to keep on talking. But here, here's some practical questions. Here's just some practical questions. Uh, number one, here's a practical question people have. Uh, what are the circumstances in which Bethany removes someone from their membership? And I, I think that's a, a very important question. Um, now, we call this, uh, in our, kind of our cultural context, we call this church discipline. I, I would change that phrase if I could, but basically what we're doing is removing the stamp of member from a person that uh, isn't committed to the, the principles of membership that we've laid out, that are laid out in Scripture. And, and the purpose of removing someone from membership is, is really multi, multi-purpose, right? There's protecting the flock from sin. So if you have a person who says, I'm, I'm committed to this this uh, soul-destroying path of life. You're saying, okay, we need to recognize that that's not inconsistent consistent with, that is not consistent with a gospel witness, and so we're removing that person from membership. It protects the unity of the church, and, and really it demonstrates, and this is our, our heart in this, it demonstrates love to the person who is falling away from the faith as we say, hey, we, we don't want you to be deceived by sin. And as we enter the process of removing someone from membership, we follow the process laid out in Matthew 18. It's usually at Bethany Community, it's a very slow process as we work with a person. Uh, generally, they're not receptive to that, but what we pray that they, they would be. And, and really, uh, the hope is always for repentance and restoration. That's always, always, always our hope and prayer and goal. And so we'll remove a, a person for, uh, for, 
for pursuing sin, for saying, I'm, I'm not going to uh, respond to the correction of people who love me, uh, other believers, church leadership. And so for, for those reasons, we'll say, hey, we, we don't believe that your testimony is consistent with uh, what Scripture says about a believer because believers are going to commit various sins, but a person who's a believer, we believe, is going to, to turn from that as they're confronted with the Word of God. And so a part of that is also included, and this, this surprises people sometimes. We do also remove people for non-attendance. So if a person uh, says, okay, I'm not going to be committed to the thing I've said I've committed to, the, the body, and not uh, attend the church, then there's removal for, for non-attendance as well. Here's the second question. Uh, what if I'm already doing all the things that a member does? Okay, so I'm, I'm not officially a member, and yet I'm doing all those things that a member does. And to that, I'd say, you know what? That's a good point. <laughs> uh, I'd much rather have a person acting like a member who's not a member than a member who's a member not acting like a member, if that makes sense. But really, um, I would encourage a person who is not a member and, and doesn't fall into those caveats that I talked about earlier, I'd, a pers- I'd encourage a person who's not a member to, to formally uh, join the body. Uh, God's family doesn't allow for, for lone wolves. And if I was on the fence about whether or not to become a member or not become a member, I would just think about Hebrews thirteen seventeen. If, I, if I'm really going to obey the leaders, and I've said I want to obey the leaders and, and uh, be in submission to a church, and the leaders ask me to fill out a couple forms, I'll fill out a couple forms. You know, I can remember uh, going to, to Bethany Baptist, and I went through this process of like, it was like this, it really was like a survival test, like four months of, of excruciating interviews and uh, it's a ton of tests and stuff. And uh, at the very end, I went through this four-month process and, and uh, came to, to staff and said, okay, now you need to go through the membership class. I'm like, are you kidding me? I need to go through a membership class? All right, Hebrews 13, 17. I'll, 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 I want to make this joyful for everybody. Let me sign the paperwork, right? That's okay. It's okay. A third question here. Uh, what if I've been hurt by another church? What if I've been hurt by another church? And so I, I've come to Bethany Community Church and I have been burned. I have been burned time and time again. Why would you make me go through that again? Why, why would I have to do that? And I would say um, we understand, and we've talked about this as leaders, we understand that we inherit the mistakes that other leaders have made. You're at, you're at another church, spiritual shepherds treated you one way, we inherit that. We want to own that, and we want to, we want to grow from that. But let me also just say this very graciously, um, it, it doesn't matter, right? In terms of what you need to do in, in, by being obedient to God, it doesn't matter what other people have done to you. It may make obedience harder. It may mean that you need to rely upon the grace of God in a more significant way. But in terms of what you need to do to be obedient, it it doesn't matter what others have done to you. Let me just stop with this this last one. When can I leave a church? You know what? I'm going to just say this really quickly. I will deal more with this in our post on the app tomorrow and the other questions that I was going to to get to. But the last question, uh, when can I leave a church? And and I would say... um, there are times when you must leave a church, right? There are times when you absolutely need to leave a church. If there's bad doctrine being, te- uh, being taught, if there's commitment to, to false teaching, there's commitment to immorality, there's, there's a failure to deal with sin, those things are times where it's necessary to leave a church. But I would say, at the same time, uh, many times when we think it's okay to leave a church, it's not. 
And one of the things we ask as people come to our church from other churches, because in our cultural context, that's a pretty common thing, right? One of the things we ask is how, why are you leaving? And how are things relationally at the church that that you left? And my encouragement, I say this publicly and I say it again this morning, my encouragement is if there are relational things that need to be dealt with at, at a church that you're leaving, uh, any one of our leaders would, would love to help foster that. Because as much as we would love to have you at Bethany Community Church, love it, love it, love it. You're all very wonderful people. Um, we, would, we believe that God would be glorified in a more significant way if relationships were reconciled through faith in Jesus Christ for the glory of God. We recognize that can't happen all the time. We uh, rejoice in the fellowship with you, but ideally, we believe that that's what God would, would have us pursue. Whitney and I, um, Whitney and I made a, a, very, a very tough decision about eight or nine years ago. Let me just be careful. Because I fall into that second camp as well and someone who doesn't practice church membership perfectly. So I'm, let me just be careful. We made a decision eight or nine years ago uh, to not go back to Texas where our Fam, all our family lives. As much as we missed, had missed them and loved them and always planned on going back. And, and the reason we made that decision is, is because of, of you, of this church. And as we thought about continuing in ministry with people that we had loved at Bethany Baptist Church in this, in this location. We would not have been able to make that commitment to you, and you if you had not made that, that level of commitment to us. In other words, um, you're it. You're our family. Things go south for us. You're all that we're relying upon. We have trouble with our kids, trouble with our house. Neat. You're it. We feel very confident in that decision because we believe this is a church that's pursuing those type of relationships. Brothers and sisters, that, that level of trust and relationship cannot, cannot maintain its strength apart from our pursuit of the glory of God through our faith in Jesus Christ. We cannot have casual commitment to one another and deep relationships. The two things don't go together. And so as we we think about church membership, not just that phrase that means so many different things to to so many people, but as we think about church membership, that, that covenant commitment we're making to one another, we recognize that only God can give us the grace to pursue that through our faith in Jesus Christ, to the level to which he calls us to pursue it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these relationships that we have. We recognize that that we cannot have these relationships apart from your grace. And so we we pray that you would be faithful to us. We pray that you would uh, cause us to uh, pursue you with with a a passion. And as we passionately pursue you, you'd cause us to to love and care for one another. We pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.